Hi, and welcome to From the Heart, Conversations with Yoga Girl. I'm Rachel Brayton, and we have now arrived to episode two of this podcast. First of all, let me start off by saying I am so grateful and happy for the amazing response we received last week. We really started off this show with a bang. We hit the number one spot on the podcast chart under health right away, and we've remained in the number two spot on the overall US chart. This is huge. I was a little nervous sharing the birth story because it's so intimate, but I was flooded with positive response from mothers all over the world. Giving birth is such a huge deal and it should be celebrated. So thank you all for listening in and for sharing your own stories with me too. Now for this week, we're going to dive into a brand new topic. We're going to talk about something that's a little bit taboo, I feel, in the yoga community. Something that we don't usually speak a lot about, but something that I think a lot of us struggle with on a regular basis. We're going to talk about money. As a social media influencer, I really don't love that term, but I have to call it for what it is, Um, a yoga teacher, a studio owner, and an entrepreneur, I've had a lot of experience when it comes to doing business in this community. I have this Instagram platform with 2.1 million followers, and it comes with a lot of opportunity, but also a lot of responsibility. I started my Instagram account in 2012, so it's been four and a half years, and in that time, I've, I've done a lot. <laughs> I've started five companies. I funded two nonprofits. I built a yoga studio. I launched a, a crowdfunded yoga project, which turned out to be the most successful yoga project in the world, which was amazing. Um, I've toured the world. I wrote a New York Times bestseller. And uh, right now I have a team of 32 people that work on my team every single day. So a lot. And throughout all of this, I've tried to always do my best to do business with a heart. And one of the questions that people ask me about is how can you balance the art of yoga, which is so sacred and so personal, so intimate, with manifesting abundance? You know, are we allowed to make money in the yoga industry? And how can we go about that in a really organic way? So to answer that question, I had to take a little trip down memory lane and I thought of, few or many scenarios where I really was able to connect my yoga and meditation practice with manifesting abundance. So I want to take that trip down memory lane together with you so I can share what I found is my secret to success. Growing up, I had a really contrasting life. My parents separated when I was really young and I grew up with my mom, but I would mostly see my dad on weekends and sometimes holiday vacations. Financially, my dad was really well off. He did really well for himself. My mom was not. My dad, he came from nothing, so he spent his life building this big business. He did really well. And uh, I always remember spending time with him when I was little meant a lot of waiting around at the office. He worked a lot. And he traveled a ton too. And eventually he actually left Sweden, my home country, and he moved to Latvia and Spain where he lived for many, many years. And I'd go see him on some weekends or we'd take long vacations. Uh, Before I was 15, I think I'd seen more countries than most people. I mean, we went all over the world. We went to Thailand, Maldives, France, Turks and Caicos. We were all over and we always stayed at really fancy resorts. I remember understanding pretty early on that there was a big difference between my mom and my dad. My mom would work long hours. She worked in another city and would commute two hours there and two hours back every single day. So when I was little, we were always the last to be picked up at school or picked up at kindergarten. I didn't understand it then, but I know now that she really killed herself to make ends meet as a single mom. And staying with my dad, it was such a different experience. For instance, whenever we would go to the grocery store, I could put anything I wanted in the cart. (laughs) Going grocery shopping with him was like going to Disneyland. With my mom, we always had these really detailed lists and we would compare prices You know, doing groceries was a serious thing. I was never allowed to buy anything if it wasn't on the list. My favorite breakfast cereal, I remember, it was Cocoa Puffs. (laughs) So this was Sweden. And Cocoa Puffs was an American cereal. It was really expensive. And I was only allowed to have it once a week. With my dad, I could put one box of Cocoa Puffs in the cart for every day of the week if I wanted to. He didn't care. I don't think he even noticed. So whenever I went grocery shopping with my dad, I would buy extra items with him. So I would buy two sets of shampoos, two soaps, extra toothbrushes, so on. And that way I could take some of them back home to my mom's. Spending time with my dad always meant coming home with extra pocket money. And I've realized that now 
I didn't know it then, but it really brought a wedge in my relationship with my mom because I could spend a weekend with my dad and I would come home with hundreds of dollars in cash just from collecting pocket money he would give me here and there. And my mom would be so upset. I mean, that's just way too much money for a child to walk around with. I think, you know, her, her reasoning was how could he excuse me having that kind of money when she barely had enough to cover the rent every month? So I wasn't aware of it then, I was just too young, but money was a constant struggle for my mom, and it was a huge reason, I think, to why my parents fought a lot. The gap was just, yeah, it was just too big. I remember once I was 12 or 13, and there was this certain kind of winter jacket I wanted that all the cool girls in school had. It was a Canada Goose jacket, I remember I really wanted a beige one. It was super expensive, I think $500 or maybe even more. And I begged my mom every single day for months to buy me one. It was way too expensive, of course, and it was way more than she could afford. And I remember being so angry at her because I couldn't understand why did she have to be so different compared to every other person's mom. You know, everybody I knew had this kind of jacket. Why couldn't I afford it? Why couldn't I have one? And then I think a couple of weeks passed and then I saw my dad And I went into this sob story about how I was so left out at school and everybody has this jacket and I'm the only one who doesn't have it, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and of course, you know, he went out and he bought me one. For him, a $500 jacket wasn't a big deal. And I came back home and I remember I was really proud, feeling a little cocky that I had this brand new jacket. And of course, my mom was furious. <laughs> I mean, really upset. She forced me to return the jacket right away. Do you have any idea what we could do with that kind of money, she said. And I couldn't understand it. I mean, why didn't my mom want me to have nice things? Why would she force me to walk around in this old, ugly jacket when I had this nice new one? I was too young to understand that this was just too big of an imbalance. And it really created a gap in my family. And it was just so challenging for my mom. We only saw my dad on weekends, so he got to be the fun one and he would swoop in with these fancy new clothes and meanwhile my mom was struggling with four kids doing the best with what she had. As I grew older, I think I, I learned how to navigate this contrast, how to navigate this abundance that I had at my dad's place versus struggling financially at my mom's. So I stopped telling my mom about the things that my dad bought me or I would hide money if he gave me money. And after some time, I think she stopped asking. I think she just kind of surrendered to this contrast that I had. And I think about it now, and I can really see how growing up this way gave me a really skewed view of money. I mean, it just, it just messed me up a little bit. Because in one part of my life, it just came way too easy. And in the other part of my life, it was a constant struggle or a source of fighting. So... This also meant, I think, I, I learned how to navigate both sides of the spectrum. So I knew what it was like to not have enough, and I knew what it was like to have too much. It would take me a long time to find that balance in between. I never started out wanting to be an entrepreneur, not a, at all. I left Sweden when I was 18, and I was just looking for something new. I graduated high school, and I knew going straight to college just was not for me. I longed for the sea and the sunshine and the tropics. I had a pretty difficult time in Sweden, especially my teenage years. I spent a lot of years smoking and drinking anything I could. I was in, you know, abusive relationships. I was just really, really unhappy with who I was. And when I was 18, my mom sent me to a meditation retreat, which is, was a huge awakening for me. And one of the first things that I realized was, actually, I have to get away. I had to physically leave my circumstance to figure out how can I be happy just for me. So I just finished high school. You know, I was really young. I didn't have any money to travel. And for some reason, this time, I decided I wasn't going to ask my dad for help. I felt just from deep inside this longing to be independent and to be on my own completely, to not rely on anybody else. And I remember I had some babysitting gigs and I had some odd jobs here and there, but I never saved any money in my whole life. I never had a goal or anything specific I wanted to do. But this trip, or just knowing that I wanted to leave Sweden, I wanted to take a big trip, I wanted to change, it was for the first time in my life a big motivation to work and to save money. So I started working, and I started working as hard as I could, saving as much as I possibly could. But it just took me a couple of months, and I realized, whoa, you know, making money is really hard. 
And I thought it just, it's going to take me way too long to save up what I need. And I'm not prepared to wait that long. I was itching to just get away and, and to leave Sweden and to start this new life that was waiting for me. So in the end, I actually, I left without having nearly enough of what I needed to, to be away. I think I, I sold, I had an old scooter and I sold it so I could afford a ticket. And I had a little bit of money saved up just for the first month or so, but it was not at all enough. I ended up in Costa Rica and I spent three months there staying at hostels and I was just spending as little as possible, just eating really, really cheap food. I wasn't doing anything extravagant, just enjoying the beach and the sunshine for the first time. I realized pretty early on, I think just a couple of weeks in that, okay, I'm not going to return to Sweden, but this new life is, is everything I need. For the first time in my life, I felt like I was actually figuring out who I really was. And I think a big part of that was actually this independence, you know, really living on my own and kind of living on the edge. You know, I didn't have a lot. I didn't have a backup plan. I didn't have any savings. I didn't have any of that. So I had to actually really grasp and enjoy every single day because I didn't know how long it was going to last. And I realized, okay, if I want to stay here and I want to live this life, I have to get a job. I need to make this sustainable somehow. So I did. I got a job, uh, or I got a few jobs, actually. My first year living in Costa Rica on my own, I waitressed and I bartended, I think, six or seven days a week. And I would make a dollar or a dollar fifty an hour. The life that I suddenly had here was just so drastically different from my old life in Sweden. But I was really determined. I was going to make it on my own. I was going to manage this. It was going to be okay. I lived in this shack. I don't even know if you can call it a shack. It was, yeah, it was a shack. Maybe I could use the word dump, but <laughs> let's just call it a shack. It was close to the beach, which was amazing. And back then, it was my own little paradise. It was like a little oasis. I absolutely adored this place. It was the first time in my life that I lived on my own. So for me, this was a huge deal. And I've returned there since, and I almost can't believe I lived there. I mean, it was it was a dump. It was totally, totally crazy. There were cockroaches everywhere. I mean, really everywhere. And no matter how much I cleaned, I just they just kept coming. And there was this family of scorpions that set up camp in the bathroom, so I couldn't even enter the bathroom or shower inside. I had one of my neighbors help me set up a hose outside hung from the roof so I could shower without having to go into the bathroom. <laughs> Um, the kitchen, I remember, didn't even have a fridge, so it meant I just ate rice and beans and fruits. I couldn't afford anything else anyway. And every time it rained, this was the wildest part, whenever it rained a lot, if you've ever been to Costa Rica, you know there's a raining season and it can sometimes rain for weeks on end. So whenever a really huge downpour would come in, the road would flood and this muddy water would just flood through the front door. And there was one raining season, my first raining season in the country. And this is not a joke. My dog, Kila, I got a dog pretty early on there. She literally had to swim from the from the road to my front steps. So I would wade, you know, in water up to my thighs. It was just so crazy, you know, how I lived then. And I was so broke during this time. There were some mornings I would wake up and I had to decide, okay, who's going to have breakfast today? Me or the dog? <laughs> the dog, of course, you know, always won. And the thing about being this broke, it was extremely liberating. I mean, really, because I was, I was so broke. I mean, I didn't have anything material. I didn't have any money. But it was really freeing. It was, it was just a completely new way of life. I'd never lived that way before. And it was being broke but feeling free, which is a very, very different thing and a very different energy if you compare, you know, being broke and feeling fear. And of course, at this time in my life, I was, I don't know, 18, 19, I think I was 19 by then. I didn't have a lot to worry about. You know, I didn't have kids. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have a lot to be fearful of. Maybe, you know, maybe I, I could have been, I could have been nervous. What happens if I get stuck here? You know, I didn't have any money for a flight back. What happens if something happens, if I have to get back? Or, you know, what if I get thrown out in the street? I mean, I, I could have had all these worst case scenarios, but I just, I didn't. It was being really poor, but feeling really free through it, which was a totally different type of energy. And it's taught me a lot about, you know, the value of actually letting go of this material outcome or letting go of the fear of not having enough because I didn't have enough 
But somehow, because I had this energy of feeling free, not having enough was enough. And it was a huge part of why this was such an important time in my life, because I learned a lot. I'd spent, I think, yeah, most of my life before then really weighed down by material things. I had to always wear the nicest clothes. I spent so much money on perfumes and makeup. And I just thought that's the kind of stuff that mattered. You know, so much of my identity was tied into the way I looked. And living in Costa Rica, you know, you don't need anything. <laughs> I think I wore a bikini every day. That was it. And after a couple of months, my whole suitcase molded. It was just so humid. So I had to throw almost all my clothes away. And didn't I didn't mind. So much of it was useless. I started you know, walking barefoot everywhere I went. And I had these three or four long dresses that I wore every single day. And that was pretty much it. Because I was making such little money and I had to work so hard for it. I mean, I'd work 12 or 14 hour shifts. Sometimes I had to go straight from waitressing to my bartending gig. It made me appreciate the value of money for the first time in my life. I mean, making money is really hard. And at 19, you know, I never knew. There were a lot of months where... No matter how hard I worked, I just couldn't make ends meet. And by now, I'd been in the country for a while and I found yoga. I was deep in meditation practice. And I started cultivating this trust in life. It, it, it was new for me, this, this type of trust. And it had a lot to do with, with living on the edge in this way. I just had to trust that everything was going to be okay. If I didn't have that trust in life, I wouldn't be able to live that close to the edge without panicking or without feeling fear. And this little town that I lived in, Dominical, it's on the South Pacific coast of the country. It, it's super small and every single low season, the whole town just empties of people. And if you don't have any savings or a ticket out of the country or a prospect of this big income, you know, it can be pretty scary to be stuck in a small place with no work. But I never worried I just knew, okay, I'm going to be okay. I developed this new mantra that's really, really stuck with me throughout my whole life. And I would repeat it during meditation or anytime I felt fear or when I dropped into doubt, I would repeat it. Trust that life will take you where you need to be. Trust that life will take you where you need to be. So if you truly, truly believe this to be true, that you can really can trust that no matter what comes your way, trust that life will take you where you need to go, that this is the right place. It's the right time. If you truly believe this to be true, there's no need for doubt. There's no need for fear or anxiousness at all. And I realized if I trusted that I was cared for, I would operate under this really different energy and it made it much easier to manifest a life where I was actually okay. But if you operate out of fear or panic or doubt, you start living in this energy where it's really hard to attract a life where you feel cared for and where you are okay. You know, what you think about, you attract. So I really made it my priority to continue operating out of trust, even when life would throw me these circumstances that might have um, brought me to believe otherwise. And it was, it was the same kind of trust that I felt when I left Sweden, when I didn't have enough, but I decided, okay, I'm going to be okay anyway. And it was that little grain, a little seed of trust that I was able to expand and really step into during my first year in Costa Rica. By trusting in life, it meant assuming that everything was always okay. And I came to find that this mindset, if you kept this mindset all the time, in the end, I always would be okay, 100% of the time. So whenever I ended up in a really tight spot, for instance, there were a couple of times I mean, yeah, more than I'm proud of <laughs> when I actually couldn't pay my rent at the end of the month. And I wouldn't panic or go into these worst case scenarios of I'm going to be homeless or thrown out in the street. I would just immediately go from fear and drop into trust instead. It was like this automatic switch. I had to switch my mindset. And my meditation practice was super helpful. The more I practiced this during meditation and I would journal about it and just continue going back to trust the more I found that it actually works, it has a positive outcome, you know, the easier I was to really surrender to that every time. A couple examples, for instance, one month my rent was due, but I didn't have enough and I knew I would need more or less a whole week of work extra to come up with the money I was missing. And instead of freaking out, so I sat down and I meditated, I journaled and I decided I'm going to trust everything is okay. This time that I need to make this money, it's going to manifest. 
The very same day, my landlord left work. He said he's going to leave town. He had something come up. He had to take off and he wouldn't be able to come collect rent that day. He would be back next Thursday. And that was a whole exact week away. So I got exactly the day's work that I needed. And by the time he came to collect, I had everything for rent. Another example, there was another time I was really desperate for some extra cash. I can't remember what for. And without knowing how I would make it happen, I just decided, okay, abundance is coming my way. Abundance is coming my way. Abundance is coming my way. I made it my affirmation, my mantra, and I would keep trusting that it's okay. I'm going to find a way for, for this money to manifest in my life. That evening, someone left me a $200 tip. <laughs> a $200 tip in this small Costa Rican surf town that's really wild. And they signed the bill, you deserve this. Just like that. And I think the biggest one or at that time, I, I don't know, I think I'd been in Costa Rica about a year and summer came along and with it, my brother's graduation, he was graduating high school. And I really wanted to go back to Sweden so I could see my family and to be there for his big day. But of course, I did not have the money I needed for the ticket. But again, I didn't worry. I decided, okay, I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going to worry about how to figure this out. I'm just going to trust that I will. So I decided to trust it and that I was cared for and it would manifest. And every time I sat down for meditation, I would journal about this, manifesting this ticket to go home. A couple of weeks later, I got an email from my mom. She said, oh, this is so strange. You just got this letter in the mail. You're getting a tax return. I got a tax return for $900. And it was exactly what I needed for my return ticket to Sweden. Like not more, not less, but really what I needed. And I think about these situations now, <laughs> they sound kind of crazy, but at the same time, not, you know, I feel like, not like I've figured out a secret, but I feel like this, this just makes so much sense. You know, trusting in abundance means abundance comes your way. And the mindset of how or whether or not we drop into fear or trust just makes a huge difference when it comes to what we're able to attract in life. And it's something that I'm able to continue coming back to. And especially when I find myself in a really you know difficult situation or a challenging place and that fear automatically arrives I'm pretty good at not getting stuck in it but actually turning it around and then remembering these situations that I've had in life where choosing trust over fear works and when you know that it works it's easy to remember and it's easy to come back to now, my second year in Costa Rica, I was getting really fed up of working so hard and making so little. So I decided I'm ready for something new. I wasn't getting along with this owner of the restaurant where I was working. And I decided, okay, I want to quit. I don't want to do this anymore. But how could I quit without the prospect of another job? It was, again, low season and almost every job opportunity was going away. Up until then, I had been okay making really little money and living on the edge, but I don't know why I reached this point, but something inside of me just was over it. I thought to myself, okay, I was able to be all right and just get by by trusting and manifesting this energy. Okay, I really knew it was all energetic. But would it also be possible to manifest being more than just okay? What if I wanted to manifest actual money? What if I wanted the ability to travel or maybe go see my family or maybe even having a high paying job? I'd never tried before because I never set out to make a bunch of money or to become, you know, successful. I just wanted to be happy. And up until then, living in a shack in Costa Rica, making a dollar an hour was happy. But that day I reached a point where just, no, it's time for something more. Maybe being happy could mean having a little more money in my pocket every month too. I didn't know, but I decided, okay, I'm going to give this a try using this energetic shift that I've been practicing for the past year and a half. So the next morning, I sat down to meditate. I would wake up every morning really early. I walked down the beach. There were these lifeguard towers. I would climb up with my dog and I would sit in meditation for sunrise. So this time I journaled about all the things that I dreamt of. I wanted financial freedom. And this was something I'd never thought of before or I'd never dreamt or asked for before. But I realized, yes, I want financial freedom. And for me at that time, financial freedom didn't mean, you know, a million bucks. It meant literally being more than okay. So being able to have enough, being able to travel the world and, and just feel okay. I wanted to be able to go to Sweden. I wanted to see my family. And I realized I would love to have a job that I'm passionate about. And I never thought of this before. I never had a, any career prospects or ideas or, you know, I, I didn't think too much about the future or what I wanted to do with my life. But I realized, okay, I want a job that I'm passionate about. I don't want to 
wait tables for the rest of my life. So I wrote and wrote and wrote, and then I sat in silence and I really asked the universe, please provide me with financial abundance. I'm ready. That evening, that very same evening, I went to work at this restaurant where I was working and I immediately got into this fight or discussion or something with the owner again. And I I felt that feeling of being fed up. But instead of being pulled into negativity or frustration, I decided, no, I'm going to come back to this mantra, trust, trust, trust. So I just brushed it off and I continued working. In the end of the evening, this big group of people walked in asking for a table. So I waited on them. And then after an hour or two, we were in this really deep conversation. They were super cool people. And it turns out they all worked together and they were acquiring land in the same area, building a sustainable hotel. And they were all working to fund these reforestation projects, which was super cool. It sounded amazing to me. They were people on a mission. They had passion. And the CEO who was sitting at the table at the end of the night, he said, you know what? Are you happy working here? And I didn't have to think twice. I said, nope, actually, I'm not. (laughs) Just this morning, I decided that I'm looking for something new. This is not what I want to do anymore. And he said, well, why don't you come work for us? We could use someone to help out with administrative tasks or some assistant work. I have a good feeling about you. You should just come work with us. <laughs> I couldn't believe my eyes. I said, are you kidding? Are you, are you serious? He said, yeah. <laughs> We've so far in this company, we just hire people we feel good about. So I said, okay, yeah, <laughs> I'll work for you. And I quit my job that very same night. The next day I started working for them. And I was making almost 10 times what I made waitressing. So I was making this American salary, but living in Costa Rica, which was huge. And I got to travel with them, which was the most amazing part. It was a really unconventional job. It would take me some wild and crazy places. But I think a week or two later, I was in California. I'd never been to the States before. I was driving down the PCH in a convertible. I even had to buy new clothes. I remember going to, I remember going to, I think Forever 21 for the, for the first time in my life. I had to buy new clothes because moldy long dresses just didn't make the cut anymore. <laughs> in just two weeks, you know, life changed so drastically and I was blown away. All I had to do was trust and ask for what I really wanted. I didn't work for this company for that long, but it really taught me I'm the master of my own universe. So anything I want, I can manifest. Situations like these just kept happening and they've continued coming my way ever since. I've kept this mindset in everything I do. When I trust, I operate out of abundance and abundance comes my way. You are listening to From the Heart, Conversations with Yoga Girl. What inspires you to roll out your mat and practice yoga every day? I find a lot of my inspiration right beneath my feet on my yoga mat. A beautiful way to get some fresh new inspiration into your yoga practice is to get rid of your old mat and step onto a fresh artist-designed Sankalpa yoga mat. Sankalpa creates amazing artist-designed yoga mats that have amazing quality, they're eco-friendly and just beautiful. A different artist creates every single design and your purchase directly supports independent artists. Sankalpa has a ton of truly mind-blowing designs to choose from and the print quality is great. They have an ultra soft microfiber surface. It feels super good on your skin. It grips even more when you sweat. Sankalpa mats have an eco-friendly natural rubber bottom so your mat never ever slips. They're 100% PVC free. Go to livesankalpa.com. That's L-I-V-E-S-A-N-K-A-L-P-A.com and use promo code YOGAGIRL to get 20% off everything. Plus get free shipping on orders over $100. Sankalpa actually has a money-back guarantee, so if you don't love your mat, you can send it back the first 30 days and get a full refund. Start this spring off inspired with a fresh new artist-designed yoga mat from Sankalpa. For 20% off your entire order of the most stunning and inspiring mats, head to livesankalpa.com and use promo code YOGAGIRL. That's L-I-V-E-S-A-N-K-A-L-P-A.com. Use promo code YOGAGIRL. The world is changing now more than ever. We all need more than one source of income, but not everyone wants to quit their jobs and become a startup founder. That's what Side Hustle School is all about. It's a short daily podcast, seven days a week, that tells stories of ordinary people making extra money without quitting their jobs. 
The host, Chris Gillabo, also has an intriguing new book out there this month called The Money Tree. It's an engaging story of how you have the power to create your own financial destiny, something that's especially important in this time of uncertainty. Get your copy of The Money Tree today from any bookstore or online retailer. Learn more at moneytreebook.com and listen to Side Hustle School wherever you get your podcasts. Fast forward another year and I've just moved to Aruba. I went here on vacation with my family. I met Dennis on my second day, I think. We had five days together, <laughs> felt madly in love, but this was a random Caribbean island. I'd never been here before and it was crazy to stay with this guy I barely knew. So I went home to Costa Rica. I think I spent two weeks in Costa Rica before I realized, okay, I can't live without this guy. So I turned right back around and I moved in with this guy I barely knew on this island I had never been on before. So I moved to Aruba on a whim for love and I knew I had to make money somehow, of course. So when I was here and when I arrived here, I just knew, okay, I don't want a waitress. I don't want a bartender. I'm just over working at night. I don't want it anymore. And I sat down to meditate to really try to figure out, okay, this is a fresh start, fresh country, fresh chapter in my life. What do I want to do? And the first thing that came to mind, it was just this resounding, huge <laughs> revelation, yoga. I want to do yoga, just yoga. <laughs> I've been practicing throughout my time in Costa Rica. And even the last year there, I was teaching yoga to friends and to the company I worked for, but I'd never done a teacher training. I wasn't a yoga teacher. I didn't consider myself a yoga teacher by any means. But I thought to myself, yes, you know, yoga, that, that's it. I could teach yoga in Aruba. You know, why the hell not? <laughs> it was just such a huge passion. And the community here on the island, the yoga community was super tiny. So I thought this could be a really good time to, to start something new. So I did my usual thing, you know, I meditated on it. I journaled, I stayed in trust. I decided, okay, something's going to manifest within yoga right away. But this time around, for some reason, it just didn't. <laughs> two months later, I mean, it was two, more, two months on the island and I wasn't any closer to finding any type of opportunity to work or teach yoga or work in that community at all. So in the end, I had to take two jobs. One, waitressing at a sushi restaurant. <laughs> Anyone who's ever waitressed knows waitressing at a sushi restaurant is harder <laughs> more challenging than waitressing at a regular place. At least it was for me. There's just too many plates and condiments and things going on. <laughs> I was really, really unhappy. The other job I had was, yeah, working in a bar. So I found myself two months in Aruba, waitressing and bartending again. I was not stoked about the situation. And the thing was, Dennis worked, he was managing a surf shop at the time and he worked 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. And I worked 5 p.m. to 1 a.m. Or if I was in the bar, I would work until 2 or 3 in the morning. So this meant that we never saw each other. Before he got off work, I was at my work and I would be gone all night. I spent a couple of weeks working this way and I just realized this is never going to work. What's the point of moving to another country to be with the person you love if you never get to see them? You know, there's, there's no point. So I decided, okay, I have to change this up. There's something more required for me for, to make this happen. And there was a lot of fear involved here in this piece of the puzzle for me because I never actually put myself out there or pursued something that I truly wanted. I'd never had a dream before that I just felt this huge urge to complete or to, to manifest. And there was fear involved because what if I wouldn't make it? What if I really went for this dream and then I failed? Then what? And I just had this, this overwhelming urge to teach yoga and it was everything I thought of. So how do you manifest an actual dream? Or how do you change your life if you can't see what the next step is? So I realized, okay, maybe sometimes meditating and trusting isn't enough. What do I need to do? I decided, okay, I have to take action. I have to actually get moving and get going. So I did some research and I ended up finding this tiny little place where a woman was teaching at the back of her house. And I found out, I think Dennis's boss's wife <laughs> or something along those lines. She knew this woman. So I asked her to introduce us so I could ask for a job interview. And it turns out this woman did need help. She said, yeah, I could use some you know, computer help. I need a newsletter, basic stuff like that. So I got this job. It was minimal pay, but I didn't care because I was just so stoked to be working in a field that was even remotely close <laughs> to yoga and to what I was really passionate about. I started teaching yoga classes on the beach in front of a hotel. And classes were super small. I didn't know how to advertise them. I just had these beach towels and I would try to get as many people as possible to join in. 
um, just teaching what I knew. And I stayed really deep in trust, like this is going to work, it's going to happen. But classes were tiny and they weren't growing. So I decided, okay, I need more action. So I started taking action just in every way possible. I started a Facebook page. I'd never been involved with social media before at all. I don't, I don't think I even had a computer at the time. And I wanted to promote my classes locally. And I was just everywhere I went, I would talk about yoga and tell everybody to come to my class. I printed flyers. I handed them out left and right. I was just going crazy <laughs> telling the whole world, come to my yoga class. <laughs> and one day, the owner of the hotel where I was teaching in front of came to the class. And he said, you know, I've been hearing a lot about this new yoga teacher on the beach. I said, very you know, I was very cocky. I said, yeah, that's because I'm really, really good at what I do. <laughs> so already I was putting myself, you know, out there in a way that I normally wouldn't. And I told this guy, I just met him and I said, you know what, you should hire me to work for the hotel. I could put together a whole yoga program for you. I never thought of this. <laughs> it was really a spur of the moment thing. I said, yeah, I could do this whole yoga thing for you. Yoga is huge. Everybody loves yoga. And this guy he thought about it and he said, okay, you know what? I kind of like that idea. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let me introduce you to management. Let's see what we can do. And that was that. He hired me. I became the yoga director of this beautiful luxury hotel. He gave me a full-time salary. I got a work permit through the hotel, which was huge. I mean, I'd only known Dennis for a couple months and we almost got married. Uh, you know, we barely knew each other. We almost got married just so I could get a permit to stay on the island. And suddenly this hotel got me a permit so I could live and stay, which was just huge. And I went from teaching these super tiny classes on beach towels to managing my own department at this luxury resort. It was crazy. <laughs> I almost couldn't believe it, but at the same time, I could. It made sense. And I realized that partnering or coupling this, this idea of using trust and energy, you know, really, really trusting in life and manifesting abundance that way, coupling that with taking action and just working your butt off is a recipe for success. It really totally works. I worked for this hotel for, I think, two or three years. Yeah, over, over two years, two and a half. And in the beginning, of course, I had no idea what I was doing. I'd never been the director of anything <laughs> in my entire life. I didn't even have my yoga teacher certification. So the first thing I did is I got my first 200-hour training and I expanded the yoga schedule. I started teaching a bunch. I hired more teachers and I started hosting retreats every other month at the resort. So a year in, I was teaching 24 classes a week, which was, it's way too much. Okay, no teacher should teach that much. It was just way too much. But I was diving in to being, to this world of yoga, just teaching as much as I possibly could. And I started inviting well-known teachers from all over the world to come to the hotel and host teacher trainings and retreats. So this meant not only was I teaching and working with yoga full-time, which was my biggest dream, but I was able to bring the best teachers of the world to my own home. I learned so much during these years. I soaked up every piece of knowledge that I could. The dream was working, you know, and so much had happened since I was waitressing at that sushi restaurant. I was just decided I'm never going to wait on another table ever again. My Facebook page started growing, which was exciting, and I started teaching sup yoga, stand-up paddleboard yoga yoga on surfboards on the ocean. And I got a lot of publicity through that that helped grow the classes. The New York Times, I think it was, or the New York Post, no, the New York Times, they did a, a write-up about my class. And before I knew it, things were just taking off. It was around the same time that I started an Instagram account and it was just a personal account. It was not, you know, for business, nothing like that. Uh, I just wanted to document my life in Aruba just for friends and family. And I didn't know what name to pick, you know, I think Rachel Brayton was taken or, <laughs> or busy. So I just decided, okay, I'm going to be yoga girl. You know, yoga was such a huge part of my life. And I just randomly picked that name. In the beginning, I just shared photos of my dogs or the beach or breakfast or Dennis, just like anybody else with an Instagram account. And I noticed really early on that if I ever shared a yoga pose, which I just did once or twice in the beginning... I got so many questions and comments. People were asking questions or wanting advice on their practice or asking me where could they practice yoga in the Caribbean. It looked beautiful. So I started focusing and gearing that account a little bit more toward yoga. And every time an opportunity for growth came my way, either through the hotel or through social media or, you know, my relationship with Dennis, I just followed this old recipe of partnering trust with action. 
And it's something that I follow in every aspect of my life to this day. It's just so important to realize dreaming of what you want to create is not enough. It's important. You need to have the dream. You need to set the intention of what you want, but you have to get off your ass and work for things to start moving. So fast forward a couple more years and that Instagram account, well, it grew to become the largest yoga platform in the world. I was all of a sudden able to travel the world teaching yoga. So leaving Aruba and go abroad to teach, which was huge for me and Dennis. And workshops and retreats would just, they would sell out so fast. So those tiny little classes that I was teaching on the beach turned into classes of thousands of people. And I, I don't know how it happened. <laughs> I really, I think about it now. I, I don't know how it happened because it wasn't something that I planned on. It wasn't something that I, I didn't have a plan. You know, I didn't decide, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to become this yoga girl. No, it just, it just flowed and turned into that somehow. I just, I took that dream of, of manifesting abundance and wanting financial freedom and wanting to work in a field that I loved. And I, I turned it into a business. Dennis and I, we started touring the world. So we taught yoga on almost every continent. Yeah, along the way, he became a teacher too. Actually not, people ask me that a lot, not through me. <laughs> I tried to get him to do yoga for years and it just wasn't happening. He was skating and surfing and that was it. He needed to find his own teacher, a man teacher actually. But in the end, he became a teacher too. So we started teaching everywhere. And the first tour that we ever did, we rented this crappy little car. You know, we had no money and we drove from city to city just teaching in random little studios. I think then we'd have maybe 40 or 50 or 60 yogis at a time. And I did so much work when it came to booking classes. I'd Google studios and pitch myself and, you know, tell the whole world, take my workshop, just using Instagram to, to sell classes. And at the time, we took pretty shitty deals from studio owners. We never made any money on those early tours. I think through social media, it might have looked really easy, but we worked so hard. The first tour we did was Florida. We did 11 cities. And the second one, we did the West Coast of the United States and we did 36. It was wild. And I was always so surprised. You know, workshops would sell out and people were so excited to come practice with me. And it just grew and grew and grew. And now when we go on tour, <laughs> if you've been to any of my classes the past couple of years, you, you know, things work a little differently. We work with the same agencies that put on these huge concerts for artists and The venues we go to are sports stadiums or concert halls. It's almost, yeah, it's almost unreal. Yoga allows me to do this. And people that see photos of these big classes, if we have a thousand people in a class, they're sometimes really skeptical. You know, it must be like a circus or how can you be authentic when you have that many people in a room? Anyone has ever been to this class or to any of these classes, they know that this is absolutely not the case. These big classes that I teach are the most intimate, most heartfelt, most authentic classes that I teach. I, I cry every single time. Most of us cry every single time. There's just something so special about a group that big coming together. Everybody has the same intention. Everybody wants to feel. You know, we're setting our fears aside and stepping into this authentic place. It's just a huge thing. And my favorite thing about this, about, you know, being yoga girl or being able to live this life and teach these classes and just attract this many people is it has so little to do with me <laughs> you know I don't have to be nervous or feel pressure to teach even if there's a thousand people out there waiting for me yoga is it's just so personal it's about every person's individual journey I think my strength is just I'm really really good at bringing people together that's what I do and I think that's why most of this you know it all works I'm able to build these businesses, I'm able to make money, even in a field that's as sensitive and personal as the yoga field, because there's a really loving intention behind it all. I want to inspire self-love. I want to inspire healing. I want the world to be happy. I use Instagram as a diary. If you read my posts, you know, every single day, I, I usually, I, I take the time to write about whatever is moving through my life that day. And sometimes it's painful, sometimes it's joyful I just I do my best to be really authentic and really real I know whenever I open up about my struggles online it inspires other people to open up and do the same being vulnerable and being really intimate it just it opens up the space for other people to feel because in the end we all feel the same things just not always at the same time yoga is a tool and it's an amazing tool and I'm so happy I chose that name yoga girl you know It was, it was a lot of years ago and now my account or my work, this platform, it's, 
it's not so much about yoga anymore. Or it's not, in the end, at least it's not so much about asana or the poses we do on the mat. Yoga is not the end game, but self-love is. This community is. Along the way, I started an online platform for yoga, 108.com. And it's something that I crowdfunded and I created together with the community. It sprouted out of this this need that I saw of support. There was so many people reaching out, looking for help. Uh, Whenever I shared pain, I had my best friend passed away. I had a lot of difficult, challenging things come my way that I opened up about. And people started reaching out to me looking for help. And I realized there's this there's this gap here. There's a huge need for support that we're missing online. And that's how 108.com was founded. And similar with Island Yoga, our yoga studio here in Aruba, it was just built from the intention of wanting to serve the local community here. And the intention behind both of these projects have just been really pure and really, really full of love. And I think that's why we've been able to find success on both sides. And Island Yoga, our yoga studio, is it's uh, it's been quite challenging. We've found funded and built Island Yoga with no funding. <laughs> it's been the the biggest challenge, I think, business wise for me thus far. We ran out of money way too many times to count, and it was actually when I was doing the research for this podcast and I was thinking about these situations where I was able to turn fear into trust, or when I was able to manifest abundance. It made me realize that last year, 2016, was so similar to my first year in Costa Rica. It was so similar in in energy in so many ways. And back then, you know, I didn't have money for rent and I had to choose between buying dog food and breakfast. It wasn't really the same, you know, exact scenario right now, but we're at just a very different scale. But the situations and the energy have been really, really similar. So I convinced my husband that buying an 18,000 square foot property was a great idea and building the largest yoga studio in this part of the world is awesome even though you know we didn't have the money to do it I think I the reason I got to this place I just pushed this through even though we didn't have the money we didn't have the savings that we needed I just reached a point where I realized that I can trust so deeply in these things the things that I touched on in this podcast so trusting in life taking action having a loving intention behind what you want to create I just know that this is a recipe that works. Why should I be fearful? Or why do we need to first save all the money and then do the work? Let's just start. I just decided there's no room for failure here at all. And that feeling was really similar to when I left Sweden for the first time and I didn't have enough, but I decided, you know what? I'm gonna be okay. Now the stakes were a little bit higher. (laughs) Higher though, there was a lot of, a lot at stake and a lot of money involved. You know, everything, we, everything we've saved up during the past years, we've put into the studio. But we had the most beautiful intention behind the studio, and I trusted so deeply in this ability to manifest and for the universe to care for us throughout the whole process. And in the end, you know, we got off our butts and we worked harder than we ever have in our entire lives to make this happen. And guess what? So every time we ran out of money, I would surrender back to trust, and somehow it would just all work out. This time around, it didn't work out through getting extra tips or tax returns like I did that first year in Costa Rica, but through other ways. Um, For instance, I was offered a book deal, which was huge. Uh, If my book agent is listening to this, (laughs) I'm working on it, I promise. I just had a baby in the middle. (laughs) I'm writing as much as I can right now. But yeah, I got a book deal, which was huge. I got new opportunities to teach. I randomly did some social media collaborations I normally don't do. It was just... Random ways, in unforeseen ways, money would kind of drop out of the sky. And one of the wildest ones was at the end of construction. We were so close to being ready and we ran out of money for the 17th time. This time around, though, I was just out of ideas. I was exhausted. This whole project exhausted me because it was just every other month something crazy would happen and we wouldn't, wouldn't know how to finish. And I knew we needed the money or we needed a huge chunk of money to be able to finish the project. We needed it by the weekend. If we didn't, they would stop construction completely and the holidays were coming up and it meant we would have to restart construction in March, which is the same around the same time the baby was due. So we would have a baby and be constructing at the same time and then have to get a yoga studio off the ground while having a baby. It was just too much and it was just everything I didn't want. So I told Dennis, okay, we're going to need a literal miracle to finish this project, please. We need a miracle for this. And that evening, I cried. I think I, I wrote a big post on Instagram about it. I was just, I was so defeated and so 
fearful and so worried. It's just all these horrible emotions and these horrible scenarios were coming my way. Like, how am I going to do this? I've never had a baby before. I want to be able to focus all my energy and all my attention on baby, not, you know, on this construction. I want it to be over with. And then after I got all that fear and all that worry out of the way, I sat down in meditation and I prayed for a miracle. And the next day, (laughs) this kind of random person, this acquaintance of ours, like not a super close friend, just this guy we knew, he randomly came by the studio to check it out. And after seeing everything and kind of hearing about our situation, he said, you know what? If you need support to finish this sometime, I would love to help you. I have some extra money. I would love to help you here. It would suck for you guys to put this on hold and then have the baby at the same time. Come on, let me help you. <laughs> and, you know, it was a, a risk. <laughs> we have never taken a loan from from a you know person before. Uh, it was a big risk. But two days later, we had the money we needed in our account. A loan we've now paid back in full. It was money. <laughs> A miracle, but yeah, money dropping out of the sky. Island Yoga has been up and running since January 1, so for three full months now. And this miracle is the reason I am able to be on maternity leave. Looking back at these moments in my life, I can see how everything connects. I know now you have to be okay with having nothing and be able to fully surrender to that so you can attract everything. And having everything doesn't mean anything if you're not in it for the right reasons. The thing is, I didn't set out to do any of this. I never wrote a business plan in my life. I've never did anything the right way. I didn't set out to be a celebrity or to make a million dollars or to capitalize on a bunch of stuff. I've just been following the flow of life. And throughout it all, I've done my very best to keep my intentions clear and to always return to trust and to take action whenever needed. I know that the idea of success, it just doesn't matter. And I know as as long as I keep coming back to this trust, everything will always be okay. And for me, success is staying with this trust so that material outcome or my circumstances doesn't matter at all as much as the trust I feel within. Right now, I'm so grateful that I can live this life. And I know, you know, one day I might be back wondering how am I going to pay my rent at the end of the month? And I have to be okay with that too. I think letting go of trying to control the future is a huge part in making peace with where we are. At the end of the day, I just want to do what I love. I want to inspire people to be really, truly happy. I hope that sharing this story of trust and action and intention helps inspire you to manifest your own dreams. Remember, there's nothing you can't do if you trust that life will take you where you need to be. Thank you for listening in. For every single day I get to spend connecting with you, I am grateful. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to listen and subscribe to other episodes from From the Heart, Conversations with Yoga Girl. You can find them on rachelbraithen.com, on iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're here. Thank you to all the amazing people at Digital Media for their production work. And of course, thanks to my sponsor, Sankalpa. Please support them the way they support this podcast. I'll see you next week.